Thank you. Uh, I'm Walter Isaacson, and it's a great pleasure for me to have somebody I've admired for many years, David Drummond. David uh, is the luckiest lawyer in California. He's sitting around in a law firm approximately nine years ago, 12 years ago, and meets two kids in a garage who are trying to start a company called Google. There are many, many lawyers in California who cast their lot with two kids in a garage. <laughs> David, you're the lucky one, and, but a smart one as well. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's on. Hello. Just keep talking, no, and thank, they'll wake thank, up Thanks again. a lot, Walter. Yeah. It's, great, it's great to be here. Sorry I about, brought the bad weather. Yeah, I hadn't had anymore, a sorry. cloud in the sky to y'all arrive. Um, I want to start with China. Tell me what's happening now in terms of the... China issues. Sure. So um, uh, people may know the background, but we decided that we were no longer going to, to, to have a censored, a self-censored search engine in China. This is back in January. And since then, we've sort of been figuring out, so trying to figure out how to resolve this situation. Uh, we have a commitment to, to be in China, to serve our users in China. We have millions of them, and we feel we have a, a responsibility uh, to do that. So we want to be in the country. We want to have people in the country, uh, and we want to operate services uh, in the country. However, we want to do that consistent uh, with our values. And so while we made a decision a few years ago to, uh, to comply with some of the rules around censorship, we were always uncomfortable with it. Uh, and we, uh, for reasons we can get into, uh, and, and sort of a, a, a gradual sort of uh, discomfort that we just, just got more and more, we got more and more uncomfortable with what was going Is on China there. Is China getting more uncomfortable to the free flow of information? Well, I think so. I think after the Beijing Olympics, we saw sort of in the run-up to the Beijing Olympics, it, it, it seemed to be getting more open. Uh, we were censoring, uh, being asked to censor less. I think uh, some of the local uh, companies, internet companies, were censoring less. Uh, but after the Olympics, uh, I think by you know most accounts of people who look at the situation, and certainly our experience, uh, was that it was getting more closed um, and uh, more difficult uh, to operate. So uh, we, we came to the conclusion, and we had said uh, back in 2006 that if we felt uh, different about the impact we were having, in other words, that we weren't, having sort of, we weren't helping to open it up uh, and, and, and change things uh, a little bit or open, just create a little more flexibility, we might reconsider uh, our stance, and that's what we did. So since then, um, we've been figuring out sort of this how to continue to operate and serve our users there while, uh, you know, uh, you know, not having a, a local search uh, search engine uh, that, that would have to be uh, censored in accordance with the Chinese law. And so what we've kind of come up with is we have a, a site in China, I mean, sorry, in Hong Kong, which, of course, is part of China, you know, one country, two systems, uh, and there's no censorship there. Uh, so we've been trying to direct our users uh, there. And we're sort of, it's kind of in the, we, we've asked, we, we need a license to operate in China for our other services that don't require any surf, uh, censorship. And so we are sort of waiting to hear from the government whether we can get that license. And, but, you know, our commitment not to censor in China uh, remains. We're, we won't be doing it. Uh, and we're going to be doing everything we can to serve our search users uh, in China from, from our Hong Kong site. And you made a very subtle change a couple of weeks ago, right, which is people yeah. have to click on to go to Hong Kong. Yeah, originally what we did is you, when you went to the original Google.cn, uh, which was the old, uh, the, the local search engine, uh, you just got automatically redirected, the term of art, and, you know, we call it redirect uh, in, in, in our lingo, and we automatically did that. The government wasn't particularly happy with that because they sort of felt like we were just offering a, an uncensored search engine uh, at google.cn. So now we, we send you to a page and then you have a link you can click on. We say, hey, we've moved. You know, go to our new place. Uh, and you click on that and you can go right to, uh, uh, to Google. And how uh, does Google. this HK. work? 
do you kind of sit there and sit by the phone and wait for China to call and say, fat chance? They have ways of getting in touch with us. How? <laughs> Believe me, they have. They have. No, I mean, do they communicate they have, they have directly, emails. or do you all of a sudden wake up one morning and something's not working? Well, no, no, no. We, no, no. We, you know, I'm not going to comment on the the substance of conversations, but we we talk to them. I mean, it's it, like uh, every country where we have a presence. You know, we have relationships with the government, and we talk to folks. I mean, it's you, you have to talk to people. I'm going to ask a really dumb question, but why do you want to operate in China? Well, I think it, we have the same view. Uh, glo- we have this is a global view we have. You know, we we. The thing that one of the, the things Larry and Sergey were, were really uh, uh, one of the, the geniuses of Google uh, early on was to internationalize the site. So this was, you know, v- very shortly after I started working with them and the site was created and the company was created. Uh, there were multiple versions of this in many, many languages. And, of course, they crowdsourced the translation mm-hmm. by getting users out in the world to do the translation uh, to create different interfaces in many, many languages. So as a result of that, we got you know, millions of users around the world very quickly. This wasn't a, a site that sort of, okay, we, we're, we're a U.S. site, we developed in, US, in the U.S., and now we're going to you know, launch abroad. This was always sort of a global phenomenon as it, as it progressed. And um, so we've always felt that, look, if, if we have uh, users who are using our products uh, locally, we, we feel we need to serve them. We, we should have people on the ground to talk to people. We should be on the ground talking to others in the Internet ecosystem uh, because we think we have an impact uh, there. So we want to be there uh, as best we can. Now, look, if we can't, there are places where we kind of know we can't be. But what right is now. the trade-off between profits and do no harm, do no evil? Well, I, I think that, I, I think that you, look, you can, make, you can make two arguments, right? You can say that uh, the moral thing to do is to be engaged, right? right? Uh, and that's precisely, I, I think, the, the approach we took uh, several years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, and in, in some ways that's kind of an easy way to do it, right? Uh, it's similarly easy to sort of say, well, you know, we're just going to boycott the country because we don't like, you know, uh, this policy or, or, or that policy. We're trying this middle way, which is a lot harder, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to try to stay in the country, to try to do, uh, some good, uh, in the country, uh, and, and provide your services locally, but at the same time, not compromise the principles and be clear about it, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, uh, one of the big problems with, uh, countries doing business in China, not just China, but other countries that uh, that restrict the internet is, you know, a lot of times people won't talk about it, right? And so, you know, it's sort of the, you know, the, the real dangerous thing here is the self-censorship that goes on, right? And right. that a lot of Western companies literally won't even talk about the, you know, that there's a firewall or that there is internet censorship Wait, in China. Wait, give me an example. Uh, well, I just think, yeah, you see it, you see it quite a bit with, with uh, you know, the public statements of, of lots of companies. Internet companies used to say this. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd say, well, we have to obey the law. The law. This is this is the law, and that's it. You know? What's the difference between obeying the law in China when they say you can't talk about Tiananmen, and obeying the law in Germany where they say you can't deny the Holocaust? Well, I, I think it's it's it, they're pretty fundamentally different things, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Germany. You're talking about a, a, a democracy. People elect the government. Uh, they uh, the people who make the laws, uh, you know, are are uh, are then called to account. Uh, by people, the laws are clear. Uh, you know, the, it, you, when you talk about Holocaust denial or Nazi paraphernalia or something, it's a, it is pretty well defined, and you kind of know what it is. China, on the other hand, uh, you know, I don't think you have a, a government that's particularly accountable. Uh, the laws are very vague. Uh, who knows what it means for content to be inimical to the interests of the state, for instance, or, or some of the other things? Um, and I think it's 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 very it's very different. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in terms of the, the treatment of, of journalists, of bloggers, uh, et cetera, I, you, you, you just don't have that, the climate of political censorship 
uh, in Germany that you have in China. So I think they're very, very different. Do you have a pretty blanket rule now about, against giving up private information to a country like China that could harm one of your users or bloggers? Well, it's, it's, it's complicated. We, we have to sort of uh, look at every country case by case. Like I said, we want to be in every country, right. but there are countries we know we can't be in because we know we're going to get put in the situation of either having to turn over user information or be forced uh, sort of, uh, you, know, you know, to do self-censorship because we have people in the country and we have hostages, therefore have hostages. Um, and so, you know, Vietnam, we haven't, we want, pe- we don't have anybody on the ground in Vietnam because we know they have the same kind of an, uh, uh, sort of an edifice uh, around uh, uh, censorship and we don't want to turn over information. We, even when we went to China several years ago, we constructed our, our services so that we wouldn't have personal information in China at all. So we had we didn't do any uh, our Gmail servers were not in China uh, blog blogging servers etc. So if the Chinese government asks us for things, we say, well, it's in the United States and you just can't have it. And we take that approach uh, in other places as well. Uh, to tout one of my old friends, Benjamin Franklin, his first maxim in Poor Richards was the importance of doing well by doing good, meaning you can make a buck by actually being of service. Google is one of those companies, and for a long time, Time Magazine was, because Henry Luce said so, that you had to operate in the interest of the public, but also operate in the interest of the shareholder. How do you balance that? Um, it, it's, it's, it's hard. We don't, it's funny. We, we don't really see that much of a conflict at Google, um, and it, it may be because of the, the kind of service we have. You know, we're an information service uh, and we feel that you know more information is always better. Helping people get at uh, at, at at more the, the things that they care about uh, is always better. Uh, and serving the user uh, just you know you know really you know really aggressively is what we we, we want to do. And we we've never really seen you know that big a conflict. Again, when we went into China, it wasn't because we said, look, we need to make a lot of money in China. It was because we felt that that was a market we we needed to serve. The, the fact of the matter is, we we. Uh, have not made very much money in China at all, um, nor has, has any, any other media company. Uh, well, uh, Western media companies probably haven't. Um, you know, the local companies are doing better than Very us, cool. but it's still not a, a, a that well developed an internet uh, market. So, you know, look, we've 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 felt that uh, you, you know that we've been able to balance this pretty well because we, you know, we we when we went public, we said very clearly what kind of company we're, we were going to be, uh, that we weren't going to be driven by sort of the short term. Uh, uh, you know, uh, financial uh, uh, concerns. We're going to always look for the long term, always operate uh, with a core set of uh, values. Uh, and we even uh, constructed, uh, you know, much like uh, the uh, uh, journalistic organizations you're familiar with and newspaper companies and so forth, we even set up our corporate structure uh, so that we could maintain what we felt was a kind of in- editorial uh, integrity um, and, and keep that going despite the sort of vagaries of the market that might happen over the, the life of the company. It's worked better for you than a lot of the media Appar- companies apparently, that I apparently. used to work for. Uh, what is the most interesting? What are the most interesting privacy issues you're dealing with now? Um, well, um, we have this certain uh, question of driving cars around and Wi-Fi networks. Um, yeah, right. Which, uh, but um, that was uh, people probably have heard about that. It's interesting only in the. In, in, it's interesting in the sense that you know we made a mistake, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, we're now in the process of working with the uh, various regulators who care about this to have them you know understand it uh, and work through it. Uh, so that's that's going very well. But I think most of the 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 interesting areas in privacy have to do with the ability to offer much better services right over the internet. Once you know more, 
you know, if, if, you're, if you're willing to, to let a, a company like Google know more about you, about what you care about, uh, what you're interested in, you know, where you've been, what you've done, um, you know, you can deliver much better, we can deliver much better services. Now, that has to be done in a way that where the user sort of knows what's going on. The user is, uh, you, know, op, you know, the user, you know, sort of has the control over what's going on uh, and et cetera. So that's a, I think most of the, the, the interesting areas, whether it's in the social networking space mm-hmm. or advertising, uh, really involve sort of figuring out that trade-off uh, and, and the edges of, of you know, how, how are you going to actually do Give me a good example that? of something in the past month or two you might have well, been wrestling with. Well, I think we've been wrestling for the, the past year or so with personal, you know, with, with advertising, right, right. And, and targeting advertising. One, one of the reasons Google works uh, for, uh, for our users uh, and for our advertisers is we do really targeted ads. For, so users, like, think that they're, they're actually good information, right, right, when they put in a search query. Uh, and advertisers, uh, you know, can, are reaching users uh, that are really interested in their products. Uh, when, and, when I and, search for something like bicycle, yeah. Yeah. you know my location pretty much, right? Do you know yeah. my demographic? Uh, no, there's really no way to know your demographic. Um, so unless you tell us, and we haven't gotten into sort of you filling out a form and telling us a whole bunch of personal information about you. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things that we have been wrestling with is this concept of what we call interest-based advertising and trying to figure out, um, you know, what, what attributes of, of people based on what they've done on the web before uh, can be used to deliver them better information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've been working with that and we've done it in a way, and there's been a lot of concern about that, right? Cause you know, oh, people, you know, people are very concerned that you're going to, you know, uh, compile profiles of people as they browse around the web. And then all of a sudden they're going to see these, these advertisements and get offers for things that they don't really want. Um, and so what we've done is try to do this in a way that's very transparent. So when you get an ad, uh, so first of all, you, you have control over whether this is done with these cookies, right? That get placed on your computer. You have control about what cookies are there. We we have a dashboard where you can see them, uh, you can uh, change them, right? And you say, well, I'm interested in finance information, or I'm interested in mm-hmm. you know uh, backpacking gear or something, or, or sports equipment, that kind of thing. And you'll get better information as a result. But you don't have to do it at all. You can completely you know just eliminate all of the the targeting. And that's the kind of that's the kind of trade-off that I'm talking about, and that's the kind of way you, you can deliver these better services, but do it in a way where the user has a lot more control. I know there's a knee-jerk feeling that privacy is good, but wouldn't we have a better web if there was a little bit more authentication, a little bit more, uh, less anonymity, and we all were a little bit more responsible for what we were doing, posting, the emails we were sending, the checks we were, or the financial arrangements we were making? Um, sure, but it's not an either-or thing. I mean, I, I think if, if there are people who are very comfortable with that, right? And, you, you know, you, there's debates about whether the whole Facebook generation, you know, cares about privacy or doesn't care about privacy. But you, it's very clear there are a lot of people using social networking services that are, uh, you, know, you, you know, sort of divulging a lot more about themselves uh, than uh, people might have uh, in the past. And, you know, that, that's fine. You know, we have, there are issues around kids doing it, right, when they don't really know the consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, that's fine, but... You know, anonymity is still good too, right? People want to go out in the world and not have everybody know what who they are and what they're doing. And so, you know, we we think Google you should you should be able to use Google services uh, anonymously, and you know, we'll continue to to have you uh, uh, do that. You know, Google keeps coming up with things I, I discover, and I feel like, wow, that's awesome. Like latitude buried somewhere instead of launching huge new products. How do you keep 
Uh, I mean, we were talking to the Twitter guys, and they said, we're going to be doing Twitter and focusing on it for 10 years, whereas Google keeps doing new things instead of saying, we're just going to focus on search. Um, well, I mean, the company's always sort of seen itself as, uh, as you know, a, basically a, a company that's going to deal with interesting problems. And usually they're, although not always, usually they're problems involving information. Um, and so we don't, we haven't really thought things were, uh, there's anything off limits when it comes to innovation and coming up with something that that's really cool, that's really useful for the world. And our engineers sort of think that way. So we've uh, always had a culture of letting, you know, many, many flowers bloom and, and let people do things in their spare time and on and kind of do crazy projects every now and then. Uh, because we think that's how innovation actually happens. Give me a couple now, of examples. Uh, well, just things like uh, you know, uh, you know, we were talking about Google News, you know, before the, you know uh, earlier. That was something that you know a, a, an engineer kind of did in his twenty percent time, uh, and it was kind of because he, um, you know, he 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 loved cricket, and you know, and he he wanted to sort of find all the cricket news. So he wrote these algorithms so he could group you know cricket stories from all around the world. Uh, you know, in, in a place where he could easily see them, right? And that turned in, he's like, wow, that's interesting. I can use algorithms to maybe, you know, organize the news in, in kind of interesting ways. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're like, you know, so you could say, well, wait, you're a search company. Why are you doing news? Um, you know, we can say, well, you know, it's but information. It's interesting. that single thing probably transformed the business model of journalism more than anything else. You disaggregated newspapers and others as being a product on itself, started giving people the kernels of information they were searching for. Yeah, I, I think that's overstated, to be honest with you, Walter. I, I think that's one of, I mean, Google News was one sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, aggregator that's out there. But I think the, you know, the issues with news are there are lots of different websites. They're not just newspaper websites. There are all kinds of news sites. There's bloggers. There's all kinds of user-generated content uh, that has made it harder for the original business model of newspaper, you know, the online business models to sort of work, right? There's just, there's a lot of competition. But yeah, I think it was, it was, it was an interesting kind of uh, approach to it. Do you feel any urge, if not a duty, to try to make sure that the business model for quality journalism continues to work? Yeah, yes, we do. We think it's important for quality journalism to continue to, to work. You know, we recognize that the initial business model, that is, you know, giving away the content for free, and running ads against it, uh, while you know it's it's generated a lot of a lot of revenue over the years, and we've been a big part of that, both in terms of sending you know billions of you know leads right in the form of traffic for free, you know through our search engine, uh, as well as uh, through advertising on the newspaper sites themselves. Um, you know we recognize that it hasn't been enough right to sustain the kind of newsrooms and the you know the the remote uh, uh, you know offices and, and bureaus that uh, that the business need that quality journalism. Uh, needs so you know we we want to be part of uh, the solution uh, and to the extent that involves paid content uh, we want to be a distribution you know arm for that too we should be you know we have lots of people who are coming to us for information so uh, we are working with lots of newspapers right now to come up with a uh, to, to sort of a, a model that will help uh, at least be part of you know and be partners uh, with them in, in a new business model and so we hope we hope that will succeed but isn't it in Google's interest that web information always remain totally free and never walled? 
Uh, not necessarily. Okay. No, I don't think so. I, we've never had that. You know, the, there are people in Silicon Valley, I, I suppose, around the world, in the world, who think that information should be free. By the way, Stuart uh, Brand is wandering uh, around. Okay. He first oh, said that. No, he did say that. And, um, but you know the second half, which was, and information also needs to be expensive in this day and age because right. it's valuable. Yeah. Exactly. So um, we've never believed in, in everything ought to be free. Um, it, everything, uh, it's great for things to be accessible. Um, and discovery of things is very important. Where it's not free, uh, at least, you know, let's make it discoverable. So from, our, from the beginning of Google, there's always been lots. And we've always recognized that most of the world's information is not up on the Internet for mm-hmm. free, right? A lot of it's great information. That's what caused us initially to, to go after lots of sort of electronic information that was in databases that sort of people either weren't, you know, sort of paying enough attention to to try to get it online. And so our search engine could crawl it and so forth. We had a, we had a team of people devoted only to that. And then, of course, it led us to say, well, you know, the world, really the world's great information is in books. So, you know, let's, let's try to, to get that accessible. Not, and in the case of copyrighted books, not, to, you know, not so you could consume them um, necessarily, but that you could find them. You at least, so would, the you would at least know that they would exist, my... and then you can go to the library or go to the bookstore and buy it, et cetera. Uh, how, how do you do that trade-off of not violating my copyright when my book is up on Google Books? Sure. So we started this library program um, where we were uh, decided to, to, to work with libraries to digitize uh, their collections. Uh, and to, so, so basically, you, you think of it the same way you think of a search engine, just as there are people who put up copyrighted web pages up on the web. Uh, the search engine goes and crawls them, right, and then brings back the, sends you back the result. Um, similarly, we copied uh, digitized uh, books, and then when you typed in a, a, a query that was responsive, we deliver you sort of uh, a snippet of what that book might say if it was in copyright. If it wasn't in copyright, you can go just see the book, but a snippet of the book so you could sort of see that it exists. But it's a sliding um, scale. That's, I mean, a snippet makes it sound pretty small. Is well, pretty in, large, in, in most cases, it is, it is pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, uh, and, and, you know, that was a fair use in, yeah. in our view. And so, you know, again, the, the concept of, you know, copyright is one side of, uh, or the, you know, of copyright law. Fair use is the other side, right? And it's equally important, right? And, and we have, you have to protect uh, people's ability to, to innovate by, you know, giving them some sort of incentive, right? But, but on the other hand, you also have to protect the common sphere, and everything is built upon something else, right? And, you know, I mean, you, you, know, you couldn't review books, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I couldn't review your books mm-hmm. uh, if I couldn't take a snippet of it and put it in a book review, right? And so that balance is very important, and that's what we felt we were doing uh, and we feel we are doing with Google Book Search. Uh, but copyright law is like 75 years old in its uh, current incarnate, or Thomas Jefferson, I guess you go back to. Likewise, fair use kind of evolved on biographers trying to use J.D. Salinger's letters or something. Do we need to fundamentally revisit the notion of copyright and fair use, or is the old way of defining it Pretty much there. I don't know. I I, I think there's a pretty good um, there's a pretty good foundation uh, now as it is. I think the the you know I I'd be nervous about uh, reopening and, and of course there's a lot of that going on right now. If you look at things like ACTA, which is this treaty that uh, has been sort of negotiated in secret with the view toward imposing uh, a different kind of copyright law than we actually have in the United States on other countries, uh, which is we we see as pretty problematic. Um, so I'd be pretty nervous about it. I think we have a pretty good balance, you know. And I think as new things have come along, like the internet, 
uh, we actually did change copyright a little bit to, to try to deal with some of these things, like the balance between having user-generated content platforms versus uh, stopping people from just uploading willy-nilly uh, other people's uh, copyrighted material, right? And so we have, we have you know, we've struck the balance pretty well, and so long as the, the courts continue to interpret it, you know, in, in reasonable ways, I think we're... We're, we're okay, but YouTube, I would be nervous. I, I think there, I think there's been an assault on fair use. To be, to be fair, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that, um, you know, that that a lot of folks would would like to sort of write it out of you know copyright law, and, and I, it, it absolutely needs to be uh, defended. And we'd like to see that concept ex uh, in other parts of the world where it doesn't exist right now. Uh, but I think in the U.S., you know, I think uh, we're okay for now. And on YouTube, have you gotten the balance now in terms of people uploading and? Yeah, I think the balance was always there. You know, the, the DMCA, which was done, you know, 12 years ago uh, or so, um, uh, was uh, basically said that, you know, as long as you're a host, a platform like YouTube is, and you just, you, you upload people, other people's content, uh, then uh, so long as you find, you know, when you're told that something infringes, you take it down, mm -hmm. you're okay. Now, apparently there were some who didn't, who thought either that wasn't the law or that didn't like the law or or something, and of course we, we were sued with quite a bit of fanfare over this question. Uh, and you know, recently, I think the judge pretty much came back and said, "Well, yeah, the law <laughs> actually says what it says. You know, what it says, it says." Um, and so um, I, I, I think that's a that's a good example. But I think that the, the broader issue with YouTube, though, I think is that although the law is, is we believe is pretty clear on this point, it's still kind of burden you know burdensome for copyright holders sometimes when you have millions and millions of, of of, uh, of video clips and, 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 you know, it's hard to police. And so one of the things we did recognizing that, even though we felt we were well within the law, was to come up with some, tech, you know, some technology that would actually match, you know, let copyright owners sort of give us a sample of their video and then we match it. And then if it matches, then we take it down right before it even goes up. So anyway, the technology can solve some of these things too. One hobby horse I've ridden for about five years and it clearly makes no sense because I've never gotten anywhere on it. So this will be my last ride on it. So I'm, I'm searching Google, and it comes up with a few wonderful pages. Or it gives me a brilliant article that some scholars written. Or a piece of video I might want. I would love to be able to pay 49 cents or whatever it would be if I could just do it with a single easy click, micropayment, whatever it may be. And that would help compensate the guy who wrote the article in Time or the woman who wrote the op-ed piece, and they'd be able to put a little price on it. Why does that not exist on the web when it was originally part of the HTTP protocols that they developed? I, I, um, it's, it's not a bad idea, and I'm, I'm not, I, I think it probably will exist on the web um, okay. at some point. Um, I think it's, you know, you have, when a whole industry sort of go, either goes towards not dealing with the web at all or, you know, sort of having the free model with advertising supported, you know, it's sort of, you know, it takes a lot of sort of, uh, market, you know, development and, and people working together to figure out some of these models. And I think now that the ad-supported model hasn't worked so well, I think you're going to see precisely these kinds of things, whether it's, um, you know, uh, micropayments or subscriptions that are really easy to use and easy to customize and, and change and, and so forth. So I think we'll see quite a bit of that. Well, good. I'd hope Google will be yeah, you know, Hopefully we'll get it right. Or so, somebody's going to get this very yeah, get, right. Get this right. I think soon. whoever gets it right yeah. will be successful. So Biz and Ev from uh, Twitter up here a couple of days ago and they say they haven't yet figured out how Twitter feeds should really be searched. In other words, that entire social network, if I'm searching golf oil spill because I'm worried about it, should there be search of every Twitter message? Should there not be? How do you all keep up with new technologies like that that come along with, you know, like Twitter? 
Um, well, I don't, know, just, I don't know commenting specifically about Twitter, but you know the the search problem is something that um, you know we this, this is what we kind of we kind of do right, and it turns out there's just there are hundreds of different signals to try to figure out whether something's relevant or something that's is not relevant. And I suspect, you know, Twitter is working on all of those things and trying to sort them out for the particular kind of information, right. That, that they, that they care about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it takes, it takes a long time, right? I mean, at, there were some original insights at Google when it was originally founded and then very quickly, you know, people figured out, well, you know, we can add, you know, this signal and this other signal and, Oh, this is even more important. Uh, and it just, it, it takes a while. There's a fair amount of science and a little bit of art to it. But, uh, you know, that's what we've, you know, we've got thousands of engineers who work on this all the time. Mm-hmm. Are we fundamentally moving from a PC-based world to, a mo- to different types of world? Mobile apps, wo- I mean, a mobile world that's based on apps that are harder to search, and secondly, social networking. But let's start with mobile and what that does to your, what you well, do. Well, we're absolutely moving toward mobile. I mean, I, I think... Um, you know, we, we've, uh, you know, uh, Eric Schmidt was at uh, Barcelona earlier this year, and he talked about this concept of uh, mobile first, uh, because basically uh, what we all think of, we think we, you know, we typically do on our PCs, we're all going to be doing on, on things that we now sort of see more like phones. Yeah, but uh, I'm sorry, well, let me explain this more, what I meant. Time Magazine has yeah. a website, which is so easily searchable by Google. Yeah. It also has apps on the Droid or the That's iPhone, right. so to say, yeah. Wired Magazine, that are not searchable. Yeah, well, be careful of, of taking the snapshot of today and, and what things look like and, and thinking that's what, what it's going to look like in a few years, right? The, the whole, what, what, we're, what we're all about and many others in the industry are all about is, is making the mobile platform work like the web does today right okay. it's fast you can get it anything you want developers can write anything that the you know, any software they want any applications that they want uh nobody's a gatekeeper you can go where you know and there's there's innovation at every layer of the network every every part of the stack and that's where we think uh the, the mobile world is going so it's going to be as seamless to get to time magazine and and do something even better than the web experience right because you're going to be it's going to know a lot you know more about you it's going to know sort of where it's going to have location information it's going to be more social right because it's easy to do that uh with with devices and you're you're out there with your friends so i think um you know, I think this 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 mobile—it's going to be a lot better. Mm-hmm. While it's what I'm trying to say in this mobile universe, when we get there, uh, than I think the the sort of the more two-dimensional, uh, you know, uh, uh, web experiences. And is there a fundamental change happening as people move more and more to social network platforms? Um, I don't know. Uh, yet to be seen. You know, I, everybody likes to position this uh, this great. You know, I, I guess whenever people talk about technology, they always like to. Or technology companies, it's always pitting one thing against the other because it's always a zero-sum situation. And so you hear a lot of talk about, well, the, the social graph is the way that people are going to get their information in the future. Um, and, you know, because, you know, isn't it more authoritative to get information from people you know and trust uh, versus just information that's, out, that's just kind of out there? Uh, and then you hear people, well, real-time information is the most important thing because you want to know what's going on right now. And of course, that's going to supplant all of this this other stuff. And the fact of the matter is, you know, if you just forget about the internet, right? Uh, you know, most of us, as we, as we were kind of, you know, interacting with the world and figuring out stuff and, and getting and trying to to learn and get at information, we'd get it through our friends, you know, and our family. We would go to the library, uh, and uh, you know, we 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 try to find it wherever we could. And and I think those those different kinds of graphs, the, the notion that there's a there's a canon out there, or there, that there's information out there that your friends don't know, right? And that you want to, that, that you, you, you feel like you need to find out, it's always going to be there. 
Uh, and similarly, you know, we, if we can get even a, a lot better at, uh, at, at, at getting at the information that your friends know, which is what Facebook and others and, and we're trying to do, uh, well, then yeah, that's, that's really that. valuable too. But all these things are going to coexist is my point mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and, and make sort of the, the information world for all of us a lot richer. But it would seem to me that searching and wanting information is actually a shared social experience that it could be better if all my friends sort of refined the searches that I wanted. It can be, yeah. but but that's also the that's the path toward you know uh, you know closed mindedness too, right? Right. right? Point, I mean, you, that's how the, you know prejudice gets started, right? right? Because your loop of friends. Uh, do, I think most of us want to know more than just what our friends know. Mm-hmm. I certainly do. Right, and I want to be surprised. I want to discover stuff that's new. Right, that I I didn't even know I was looking for. Right, because there's 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 information that's just out there, uh, and I'm not connected to right now. Let me open it up, if I may. Uh, just raise your hand, and yeah, go for it. Shout. There's a microphone right behind you. Uh, we uh, Paul Benton. We started off discussing uh, China uh, as a case study. Um, can you talk a little bit about actually what the safety of information within the United States is. And I wonder if you can put some metrics on that. Uh, to what extent is Google actually facing civil uh, subpoenas, uh, requests for information from the government? Is, that, uh, is the answer to that question trivial? Is it, is it, or is, it, uh, is there a significant amount of information that you're being asked to divulge on a, on a regular basis in the United States? Sure, great question. And it's not, not trivial. Um, we, um, we get requests for information a lot. Uh, from governments all over the world, including the U.S. And one of the things we did earlier this year, I don't know if you, you saw it, but we launched something we call the Global Transparency Tool. So we actually, you can go on our site, and you can find that sort of got a nice little map, and it's kind of you know, cool looking, and you can click on different countries, and it'll tell you how many requests we've received uh, from those countries uh, on various things. And we're trying to, yeah, 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 it's great. I think the first, the first step in holding governments accountable um, we, uh, we're up there. Um, we're up there. Um, you know, I think we're, we're a U.S. site. Much of our information is located here. Uh, so we've got, uh, so there are a good number of uh, requests that we get. Um, and so we, we do turn, and, and, you know, so we want to tell an important part of uh, holding governments accountable and holding us accountable when it comes to free expression and, the, and sort of uh, privacy of people's information is to be transparent about it. And so that's why we launched that tool. And you can go in and see it. It's, we're refining it, and there's some gaps in it and so forth. But over the, the coming months and, and, and years, it's going to get a lot better. And we're gonna, we want to be my, – my goal here is, for, is to tell the world about every request uh, that we get in as granular a fashion as we can. Um, now, we have – there are Patriot Act issues, and there are things – there's sometimes – there are laws that I, I personally oppose that say that, uh, you know, we can't tell you certain things, uh, certain information that we might have been asked for. But, uh, you know, barring that, we want to be completely transparent. Let me play devil's advocate on your question, though, if I may. Because you said, are there safety issues about our data, that our data is being protected? And that always presumes that protecting data and protecting privacy is good for the common good, as opposed to bad for the common good. I mean, isn't there an argument to be made then I'm in a much better place if somebody's using Google and Gmail and everything else to buy explosives and to be part of a network that might do harm, that uh, I'd, my view of safety might be, yeah, for God's sake, share that information with the government. 
Well, and the government has laws and, and has processes, and we have, you know, we have a Fourth Amendment, right? right? The government can get the information. Yeah. They just have to follow the law, right? They can't just knock, you know, come show up and say, hand it over, right? And that's yeah. the, so the rule of law is very important here. It's not a question of never having to give it up. It's just a question of, of providing it under the right set of circumstances. But and do you think we, we have we, a we try to hold the government to account on that. They, they came to us a few years ago with a request for, like, all of the search data, you know, the... Uh, all of these search queries, and we said no, that's just way too broad. And we went to court over it, and and we ultimately won that one. So, but do you think our society has a bit of a knee-jerk predisposition to thinking privacy is really good, but public safety is something that we shouldn't? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think most people's view of that is is pretty balanced. Um, you know, I think you have people have extreme views on either side, and sometimes the folks with the extreme views, you know, get the most. As you know, um, you hear from uh, the most. But I think most people understand that there's got to be a balance here. Yes, sir, on the aisle. If you look at the larger strategic space that you're playing in, like the information industry, um, and you look at the major players such as yourself and Microsoft and Apple, how do you see this playing itself out structurally in the next five or ten years? It seems that um, the various players are putting, put, putting pawns out there on each other's space to try and get a marker, but some of that isn't turning out to be too financially rewarding. But how do you see this self? How do you see this playing uh, out? Question mark. Um, very hard to know the answer to that question. I mean, the best way to answer that question is to look back ten years, you know, ten years, and think of whether you would have imagined the the, the current future. Or, I mean, sorry, the current current situation, right? And you probably uh, you, you probably couldn't because you you didn't know there there was no Google. Right, uh, or at least Google was something none of you had heard of. Uh, there was no iPhone, uh, right? I mean, you get the picture, right? So I think what what we can be certain of is that there's going to be some sort of discontinuous, you know, this, this, some kind of break, right? And that that's caused by innovation, right? And something that the established players like us are gonna, if we don't develop it ourselves, are gonna have to respond to, right? Uh, but I don't think we know what that, that is yet. I think you can say for sure that Moore's Law continues, right? So computing will get much better, uh, faster, cheaper. We'll be, you'll have, you know, we talked about digitizing libraries. I mean, I think you'll have the Library of Congress on a, held, a handheld phone in the not-so-distant uh, future. Um, and uh, so that's going to continue. We know that. We know connectivity is going to, to continue to get better uh, because there's going to be better access in different ways. Uh, we hope it will be cheaper. Uh, that's going to happen. We know cloud computing is going to happen. In other words, people are going to start storing more of their things in the cloud as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, on their on their machines. Uh, and we know that this mobile phenomenon is only going to get uh, bigger uh, and uh, more widespread and more sort of uh, in our lives. So how the how how all of us in the industries, you know, sort of respond to that and deal with that that remains to be seen. And you know, and probably more importantly, what new players come up uh, and enter the picture is, is that's that, that that's what's going to make it interesting. Mm -hmm. The woman in the middle back there, yes, making it the hardest person for the microphone reachers to get to. Thank you very much, uh, Lori Garrett. I'm a journalist and writer, so I'm going to come back to something that Walter raised that has to do with how we continue to have a journalistic writing authorship enterprise. Uh, 
a lot of people seem to think that it all just comes down to an individual throws things up on the web or they pop an op-ed on Huffington Post or Slate or whatever, and if they're lucky, they get $10 for their labors. And what we don't have any model for replacing is the actual newsroom, the full depth of the bench, all those editors, all those researchers, all the fact checkers and the photographers and the photo editors and all of that. We are losing it all. And I, I would say nine out of 10 of my colleagues is no longer employed in journalism. So when people do a search on Google in five years, what the hell are you gonna have there if all none right. of us are employed? She asked it more fervently than I did. Try no. again. No, that's great. Um, well, I'd say there's, there's, and there's two ways to get at that, that, that question, right? One is to say that, um, look, the, the industry needs to, you know, high-quality journalism is critically important, and the only way it's going to continue in the fashion at least that it has uh, is for people to start paying money. I think there are people who want to pay money and a fair amount of money. I'm willing to pay a good amount of money. Uh, to get uh, uh, the information that I, I care about. That may mean changing some business models fairly uh, radically uh, for that to happen. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that seems like it's something that, that could happen. The fact, and the other, uh, you, you know, there is a lot of quality journalism that takes place in places other than traditional newspapers. I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of those sources, that, a lot of that will continue. It's very, con you, know, there are tech you know, there's technologies that are going to make, you know, reporting from remote places by local folks easier. You know, so I can imagine in five years that there will be, uh, you know, newspapers, other, you know, sort of, uh, you know, I don't know if the, you call them even newspapers, but, you know, news organizations uh, that many of which exist today, which will continue to be prominent, uh, and that will everybody will go to as the authoritative source, uh, and that will be healthy and will have gotten through this uh, transition. I, I firmly believe that. Uh, there may be fewer of them, uh, but I firmly believe that will happen. And I also think there'll be a lot of other sources as well. So when you do that Google search, uh, I think you'll be able to find uh, information that, that, that kind of seems you know from from names that you know now, uh, and you'll find uh, uh, competing information from names that you don't know uh, today. But that's that's you know, why Eric uh, Schmidt, your CEO, was sort of addressed that question that I think Asney, the newspaper editors, are one of them, and said we really are going to try to be creative and looking at ways to help quality content exist. What what example? What what well, thing? I, did I, you I talk don't know. About? I mean, there are a lot of things. I mean, you just look at the way online news works, mm -hmm. right? And it's you know, it's really lousy, right? I, I, you go you go you look at a story. You know, when I'm when I, I when I have a paper you know a newspaper I'm holding a, a, a physical newspaper I turn I know what to do right I can scan the articles they're all a bunch of articles on one page I know what to do next when I get to the end of the article I can turn the page it's it sort of makes makes sense it's a good user I, interface the, paper it, yeah. exactly it's a good UI as we say <laughs> in the business and you know I go online and I read through some story I get to the end of it it's not kind of clear what I do next yeah. in a lot of cases it's like I have all these links and there's things blaring at me. Um, it doesn't – I can go back to the same news. So let's say I like uh, The Guardian. That's a newspaper I like, and I like to go back and, you know, the, I, I, but The Guardian even – they're pretty net savvy, but they still don't tell me, you know, I go back and I see the same stories. Why, don't, why are you showing me the same story that I've already read, mm -hmm. right? Why don't you me, show me the next thing that I should be reading, 
right? And all of these things are, are possible, but we've got to apply some creativity here to get And we're, we're trying to experiment with some of that. We've had, if you look at our Google News service now, we've got some different news, you know, UIs that we're playing around with and trying to work with folks in the industry to, to, to make it better. But there's, there's got to be a more compelling way to sort of show people the news. Uh, and and, and when, when we figure out ways to do that, I think people are going to be willing to pay uh, a lot for that because it's, it's, it's really valuable. Let's go back to the notion for a moment of free expression because it ties into that. And what challenges do you see to free expression, and what is Google doing? Yeah, I think it's um, big challenges. Look, we, we're at an age, we're at the precipice of an age where uh, there can be sort of more expression around the world from more voices, more diversity, more quality, all of that stuff than ever before, right? Because of these these trends I talked about, right? Connectivity, computing power, ubiquity of mobile devices, uh, these platforms, uh, you know, where people can sort of be publishers, you know, individuals can be publishers. We have all of that. But we but, you know, the future is not that rosy from a uh, from a, you know, Internet freedom standpoint. Um, we're uh, very, very concerned about more and more governments who are restricting uh, content. It's not just China. You know, people talk about China all the time, but this is a much broader uh, problem. Uh, our uh, services, Google services like YouTube, have been blocked in over 20 countries. Uh, YouTube's blocked not just in China but in uh, Turkey. Uh, well, I think we were blocked in Pakistan uh, a little while ago, um, and uh, we're seeing this continue. Uh, we're seeing uh, uh, laws like uh, in Australia uh, passed a, a sort of a, a law that said that the government's going to come up with a blacklist of sites and that the ISPs have to take down what's on the blacklist supposedly for child protection, but you can see how it can easily move into other things. I was just reading today about a new Russian law that's being debated where the Russian government is uh, going to be able to, the FSB is going to be able to send ISPs a list of sites that uh, they believe are, I think the language was, uh, uh, that undermines state official, the authority of state officials, or that are, uh, that, uh, that something, uh, you know, uh, assails the honor of the Russian state, those kinds of things. So again, you see, you get the picture, and uh, we're seeing more and, and more of that. And so, what we're trying to do uh, is a, uh, you know, do the right thing on our side, right? In terms of, you know, uh, you know what we're doing in China, what we're doing in other places uh, to maintain this value of free expression. We're trying to be transparent about when governments are asking us uh, to re either remove things or to hand over information. Uh, we are uh, actively uh, you could call it lobbying, but using you know our our, our government relations sort of uh, resources uh, to try to get governments to pay attention to this question, uh, because at the end of the day, governments are going to have to deal with it. Um, are you uh, also trying to break firewalls? Yeah, and that was the, the fourth piece. We're we're starting to do more about uh, circumvention technologies, which is another uh, critical piece that we want to do. We feel like we need to do more on, but uh, it's it's very clear that if governments are going to have to start talking to each other and get involved. You know, the, uh, it, it's not, it's clearly a, a human rights issue. You know, if anybody, if you've read the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 19, which clearly talks about this right of free expression. And by the way, you know, most of the countries of the world have signed on to it, including China. Um, and so, you know, it is time for folks to start, you know, holding countries to a, account on that. But it's also um, a, a trade question, right? Because, the, global's now, uh, the Internet's now this global medium that touches everybody, not just in – it touches your personal life. It touches you know, how you communicate. It touches your commercial life. And you know, places like the United States export a lot of you know, uh, Internet services around the world. So 
at what point do we start to say, well, wait a minute, if you're censoring the Internet and you're keeping out, mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's trade barrier. It's a, it's a trade barrier, just like anything else. And so um, we're, we're, starting, we're working a lot on that because it's, it's very clear that countries that are uh, censoring the Internet are doing it in some cases for political censorship and for political control, but it's often uh, to sort of uh, uh, promote local businesses uh, and, uh, and local media. So uh, I think that's an important, uh, important aspect of this too. I see Charlie Firestone there, and while he's getting the mic, uh, when Secretary Clinton did this amazingly good Internet Freedom speech at the museum, she asked us, and then the Aspen Institute has started off doing an Internet Freedom International set of standards that will be voluntary at first, but should be a way of promoting Internet Freedom and holding accountable countries that don't. So maybe Charlie can ask a question. Well, uh, yeah, that we're starting a new project called the Internet Digital Economy Accord Project, which is the IDEA project, yeah. very appropriate to today's uh, yeah. uh, conference. But um, my question is on the uh, hacking that happened, I guess was it last December uh, when the hacking from China, apparently China uh, but it wasn't just on Google's side. It was about 30 different companies, as I understand. And I, my question is, are you satisfied with the response that the other companies had and the U.S. government has had? And um, what would you do to have uh, a more solidified response to this kind of activity, which is a very serious, uh, as I understand it, some very serious breaches of a lot of companies? Well, I think that's right. I, I, you know, look, I, I think it was a it was a serious cyber attack. Um, we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that that was somehow, uh, you, you know, this unique event in in, in the annals of, of the internet and, and and cyberspace. I mean, this is something we defend against every day, right? Of various kinds of cyber attacks, and they happen frequently. Uh, many of them are serious. The government, um, you know, you know, I can't really speak to the responses of the other, of the other companies. I mean, we had a particular response that. Um, but you know the main response being that we were you know shoring up our networks and you know we've got great security people and we were doing more to to protect our networks. Look, I, I think the government's response in the in the wake of this was 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 quite good, um, and I think that they are uh, doing a lot. Uh, they're, they're working on this a lot more than they were uh, in the past because I think that they see that uh, with this example, um, not only because it was you know targeting lots and lots of uh, firms, but it also had some political dimensions that were I think interesting. Uh, so I think we're on on a pretty good track with this administration in terms of uh, sorting this out. But it's you know in terms of the big you know the big security issues uh, going forward over the next you know uh, several years, this is a big one. And I you know and I think the you know the, the the Obama administration at least understands that and is focusing on it. Is that, yeah. Okay. Back there. Do one more. After. Carl Friedman. Um, what is Google's policy in regard to and commitment in terms of matching um, offline data with online data? Um, well, we, we haven't done it. Um, and I don't know, um, we don't have a good way of doing it since, uh, you know, we don't collect a lot of offline uh, data. Uh, you know, it's, I, I think there are a lot of people in the privacy community and the Internet community who sort of see that as, you know, the third rail of, you know, of, of privacy issues. Um, I think it was DoubleClick, uh, long before we bought them, uh, uh, who sort of tried to do this and was met with, you know, I think an outcry from, from lots of folks. I think it would be very, very difficult to do this well. 
um, and uh, to do this. And, and but not to say that it can't be done. But again, the principles of user choice, user control, of transparency would have to apply there, right? If you're able to do it, we, we're just we're not doing it yet. We think there's a lot we can do to create better, you know, targeted, you know, services services that are really cool with the information that we have. But um, you know, somebody you know will probably figure it out. I guess right there on the aisle. And Uh, you've introduced certain uh, policies that users have reacted against. I mean, from just being a, having a picture on the Google front page to uh, greater privacy concerns. At what point do you try to uh, educate your users about the, uh, the benefits that you believe those services will provide? And at what point do you try to kind of shy away from them and give them what you believe to be a less... Um, uh, a less direct search or a poorer quality service uh, if that is what they actually want. I'm not sure I understand your question. Craig. Well, I'm curious if uh, Google requires greater, um, greater privacy or access to greater privacy, yeah. geolocations, uh, history of your own search to give you a better service oh, in I search. See. Right. Uh, if yeah. users react against that, how much do you try to educate Got them it. that that's for their benefit? And yeah, I mean, that's an important part of what we're, we're you know, it, it's actually a critical part of what you, I said earlier about, you know, you should have the choice to be able to use some of these services uh, anonymously. There might be services where we kind of decide, well, you know, it's sort of what's the point of, of, of using it without, you know, more of the, uh, more inf providing more information. And in, in that case, you know, you can opt out of the, out of the service. But uh, yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the important things, if you're, if you're going to use people's uh, information, one of the most important things you have to do is to try to either, you know, explain or demonstrate pretty clearly what it is the user gets in exchange for that. Um, and that's one of the things we, we try to do when it, whenever we're, you know, we're, we're, we, we, we sort of get more information than, uh, than we've had in, in, in the past. But, you know, again, it's, it's, you want to have this user ability to, to opt out of it all. Uh, and so we'll try to preserve that. Let me uh, end with a long question, if I may, sort of a thing that talks about Internet freedom. Because you said earlier that many countries, including Russia, feel that the free flow of information could undermine the authority of the state. And the dirty little secret is they're right, that for about 500 years, more free flow of information from the movable printing press to whatever has allowed more individual freedom and allowed the spread of ideas and allowed the notion of democracy and empowerment and hurt authoritarian regimes in general. I mean, it goes in ebbs and flows, but if you look at the past 600 years, the greater flow of information makes for less authoritarian and tyrannical governments. Because governments always, in order to be tyrannical, have to control the flow of information. You were joking about Hong Kong, but when I was in China, you know, maybe 15 years ago, I was in Kashgar, a tiny village, and went into a coffee shop where kids who speak Uyghur were on a computer. I said, what are you doing? They said, we're on the internet. And I tried CNN.com where I was, and it was blocked. I tried Time.com, it was blocked. They elbowed me aside and typed in something, and CNN comes up. And Time comes up. They say, well, we know how to go through proxy servers in Hong Kong that the censors are clueless about. To me, Google is going to be an enormous transforming force, as many other internet services are, because inevitably it favors freedom and the free flow of information and will be a threat to regimes. Do you see yourself and do you see Google's role in a way, and it's doing good role, as enabling freedom or is that just some 
byproduct internet freedom that happens because of the technology allows it. Well, see, look, I think it's it's for us. It makes a lot of sense because we believe information is always better. More information is always better. Access to more information is always better. It's better. We we believe that as a core value of the company. Uh, we believe that society is better. The world is better off when people know more about what's going on uh, in the world. Um, it, it certainly makes business sense for us. <laughs> There's no question about that, um, and you know we're not going to shy away from that point. Um, so we're 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 definitely uh, committed in t- to it. Um, and you know, look, I, you know, ultimately, you know, Google's not the government. You know, no, no matter what people say, um, and. You know, uh, and, and governments have got to, to sort of decide, you know, what the international community is going to look like, right? Are, are we going to continue to live in a world where we treat sort of media as something that can be – that's local and that is state-controlled? Uh, and so everybody says, well, it's fine. That's, you know, you, you control your own your place. That's what sovereignty is all about. Or with the Internet, does that model have to change, right? Um, and that, you know, to be part of – if you want you, – you can be North Korea if you want. And you know, draw it all, draw you know, you know, take the drawbridge off up, and and not let anybody in or let any information in or out, um, uh, or you can engage with the international community, and is is sort of the 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 cost of engaging in the with the international community to to have more a freer flow of information and to lose that kind of traditional control that you've been talking about uh, that governments are, are are used to having, and uh, you know that's a. Something that you know, folks, policy folks in you know much higher pay grades than us at Google have to figure out, right? But um, you know, it's it's something that we we feel like we're on the right side of, um, and we like being on the right side of it. Well, we totally agree that the right side of history is the free flow of information. I would think that Google, as a company, and you personally, are in the vanguard of the free flow of information. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Watson. Sure.